Hello and welcome to the Plain Talking Podcast. In this edition, we're going to look behind the scenes of the Beijing Winter Olympics. And it's a deeply troubling story. Retired Baptist minister Graham Watts reminds us that we can never judge the final score from the state of play at half-time. But we start with the release of the list of the most oppressive countries in the world. It's called the World Watch List. And I asked Henrietta Blythe, Chief Executive Officer of Open Doors UK and Ireland, to tell us more about it. Thanks, Catherine. Well, it's lovely to be with you. For the last 29 years, Open Doors has been undertaking research globally to discover the extent of persecution and discrimination against Christians. The shocking news this year is once again, we're seeing an increase in the spread and intensity. So in 2022, Gethin, we found that 360 million Christians around the world are experiencing high and extreme levels of persecution and discrimination. To put that in context, that's about one in seven. And we've seen this number gradually increasing over the years. We compiled the data as much as possible from grassroots sources. So from people on the ground who are first-hand witnesses, We also talk to academics and other researchers. We look at what's been reported in the media and we triangulate our findings with the International Institute of Religious Freedom. We look at um, six different areas. So everything from personal life, are you free to think whatever you want to think? Um, family life, can you tell your family about your faith? Are you able to openly read the Bible and so on? All the way through to church life and national and public life. And the final category is violence. So out of looking at those different areas, we compile a score out of 100. And that is how we compile the World Watch List. When I started in this role, Uh, nearly four years ago, in the top 50 countries, we had a combination of high, very high and extreme levels of persecution and discrimination. Sadly, now we're looking at 72 countries that scored more than 40 points. And so the top 50 is only very high and extreme. So from that, you can see, Gethin, that actually the intensity of the smash and squeeze our brothers and sisters are experiencing is getting much worse. Wow, it's a sobering stuff there, Henrietta. I think the thing that stood out for me, or one of the things that stood out for me in, in, uh, in this story was when you said a one in seven I know. Uh, Christian across the world. That, that gives a tremendous sense of solidarity, doesn't it, oddly enough, uh, to those of us who live in parts of the world where there's absolutely or very little overt persecution or suffering, that actually that figure, that statistic joins us all together. You know, that's quite a small... Well, what is it? That's, you know, one in seven doesn't sound that great to me, actually. That sounds like we're all part of it. If you think about, well, exactly. So if you think about how many people there are in your church or even how many people there are in your small group or home group at church, you're looking at a not insignificant proportion being affected. If, If it was spread equally around the world, of course it's not. 
And fortunately, in the UK and Ireland, we live in a country where we're still free to practice our religion. So yes, it, it is sobering death, and I agree. Well, this year's World Watch List has seen a kind of a, quite a dramatic shift at the top. I mean, for years, we've been used to seeing North Korea as, if you like, the number one culprit across the world, but that's changed this year. So Henry, I wonder if you tell us uh, who's at the top now and why? Yes. So this year, Afghanistan is number one on the world watch list, the most dangerous country for Christians. So it's knocked North Korea uh, off, which has held that dubious honor for the last 20 years, as you say, Gethin. And um, sadly, that is not because things have got better in North Korea. North Korea has actually scored more points this year than ever before. But the situation in Afghanistan since the Taliban took over last August is absolutely dire for the church. So we know that the Taliban wants to create an Islamic state. They have instituted Sharia law. Many Christians have left the country. Some have chosen to remain, courageously chosen to remain. We know that in some parts of the country, the Taliban are going door to door looking for Christians. We know that information was left behind, which tragically is helping them to identify Christians. Under Sharia law, if a male Christian is discovered, he will be killed. He will be executed. Uh, if a woman is discovered, she may be subjected, subjected to life imprisonment, but also sexual violence or women and girls being forced into marriage as trophies of war. They're forced into marriage with young Taliban fighters and pressure can be put on them to convert back to Islam. Unfortunately, when women have been raped, they're very likely to be trafficked as well. So the situation in Afghanistan is absolutely desperate for our church family and they really need our prayers. It just seems extraordinary that Christian life can uh, survive under this kind of brutality. There are signs, aren't there, that it is surviving and growing. It does. Uh, I mean, it's extraordinary. And actually, we know that in some countries, the church is growing even in the face of this persecution, which is extraordinary. One of the things that has really convicted me since I've been at Open Doors is the way people are forced to make a choice. So when you face this sort of persecution, you have to decide, is Jesus worth it? And some people decide no, and they do leave the faith. But actually, everybody I've met has decided absolutely Jesus is literally that pearl of great price. And they have held on to him and stood so courageously in the face of this and continued to share Jesus despite the cost that they're facing. It's extraordinary and so inspiring, but it's, yeah, it's breathtaking, really. You also speak, Henrietta, you know, as you, as you release these figures and the story of Afghanistan and the, and the other countries on this list. You speak of the, uh, it's the most arresting kind of description, the Talibanization of West Africa and beyond. And I just wonder if you'd unpack that word, uh, and it's very hard to say, Talibanization, uh, what, what it is and what its impact is across, well, West Africa and probably beyond that. 
So Nigeria has been in the top 10 of the world watch list for several years. This year, it's at number seven. And we've seen a rise in Islamic extremism from Boko Haram and Fulani militants and other groups in Nigeria, which has gradually been sweeping across West Africa. Tragically, the takeover by the Taliban in Afghanistan appears to have encouraged and emboldened Islamic jihadist groups around the world. And they, they now think that if they persist, they will prevail because the international community is seemingly indifferent to the plight of those who are suffering and unwilling to promote and protect human rights. And as you know, freedom of religion or belief is Article 18 of the UN Declaration of Human Rights. So what we're seeing is an increase in, in violence against Christians sweeping across West Africa in Nigeria last year. If violence was the only measure we used on the World Watch List, Nigeria would be number one. Last year, 4,650 Christians were killed in Nigeria. That is nearly 80% of the Christians killed worldwide. And there is a systematic attempt to destroy the church in these countries. So we've seen it sweep across from Nigeria, other countries that have been rising in points and rising across the list include Niger, Burkina Faso, Mali, Cameroon. We're seeing an increase in violence in all these countries. Absolutely heartbreaking. A couple of years ago, Burkina Faso jumped straight onto the list at number 28. Usually you would see a build-up of violence, but actually we're seeing step changes in violence across that region. Well, carrying on from that, Henry, I wonder what are the trends you see? We've talked about the Talibanization of major parts of, of West Africa in particular. What, what else in this report do you see going on across the world? Well, one of the results of all this is that the church is increasingly displaced. So what we are seeing is Christians fleeing the persecution. We heard one story of a young Christian Afghan woman called Zabi, who is single. She's well-educated. She worked for an international NGO. Five years ago, her father, who was a Christian, was taken and tortured for more information about the church and killed. Two years ago, her brother also disappeared. When the Taliban arrived, she and her mother, who is not a Christian actually, who is a Muslim, ran for their lives and they're now in a neighbouring country. And she said, I have money in Afghanistan, but I can't get at it. What's my future? You know, I have no home. I have no job. I have no future. She was very, very depressed. Um, Open Doors has been able to help them with shelter, with food, with money for basic supplies. But, you know, her future is bleak and she knows that. And she also has responsibility for her mother. And sadly, we are seeing thousands and thousands of our brothers and sisters being displaced in this way. So another country where that's happened is Myanmar, where after the military coup last year, particularly in Chin State, there's been high levels of persecution of Christians by government forces and also resistance groups. You know, Christians are caught in the middle. And our research suggests that 200,000 Christians have been displaced and 20,000 
have fled. That's just an example of another country. One of the things that is really hard is that running from your home and your country is no guarantee of safety for Christians. So, for example, if you flee over ground from Afghanistan, every country surrounding Afghanistan is also on the world's watch list. So they're all countries where Christians are persecuted. We know that Christians who are refugees within Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, these are all countries that our brothers and sisters have fled to. They're facing discrimination within those countries as refugees. So this is a really concerning trend that we have a church on the move and a church where people are not safe as they move. And as they move, they become more vulnerable. They become more vulnerable to attack. Women and girls in particular are vulnerable and it's very difficult. And there is a real question about where will they go and what does their future look like? Henrietta, in the midst of so much sorrow and difficulty, have you come across any stories of hope in your work? I have, Gethin. And one of the stories that has massively encouraged me is that last November in Iran, which remains number nine on the world watch list, as a result of campaigning by Christian converts in the country, the Supreme Court in Iran ruled that, in fact, nine Christians who had been imprisoned had, had been given, in fact, five-year sentences for attending house churches, had not, in fact, acted against national security. And this is really huge because it gives hope to all Christians across Iran that they will be able to worship within their own homes without being investigated or arrested as a result. Um, more steps are needed to make sure people are freed from prison, but it's a lot of light in a very dark place. So we're very encouraged by that. Tens of millions of people around the world are tuning in to watch the Beijing Winter Olympics currently taking place. Against a backdrop of the global pandemic, these are highly controlled games. Central to the whole plan is the closed-loop environment. A vast Olympic city to an estimated 60,000 athletes, team officials, media, volunteers and others. Food is delivered by robots. Once inside, there is no way out until the games are over and communications are highly monitored. There are great concerns that the Chinese government are using the games to promote an image of openness and freedom, covering up a terrifying record of human rights abuses. Release International have described this as sports washing, and I asked Andrew Boyd what this meant. Oh, well, it's a wonderful, fashionable word, isn't it? Rather like greenwashing, which is attempting to pull the wool over people's eyes by focusing on something completely other than what really matters. So China is hosting its Winter Olympics. Three billion people are said to be watching that, which is a colossal number. So Release International's point is actually we welcome it because it's three billion opportunities to show the world what is really going on in China. It's a huge propaganda exercise for uh, a totalitarian nation, which is what China is. 
but it gives us the chance to talk about the human rights abuses and the abuses of religious freedom that are taking place within China. It's not just us who are saying this. China has been declared a country of particular concern by the US State Department and many others, and by Release International, and it's over its continuing persecution of its religious minorities. The biggest example of that is what it's doing with its Uyghur people, who are mainly Muslims, but they do include some Christians as well. They've put a conservative estimate, is a million of them, in re-education through labor camps. Another word for that might be brainwashing camps. China's been doing this for years, ever since the days of Mao Zedong. So what happens is if people are apparently too difficult to control, then China will attempt to eliminate them or put them within camps. So it's been doing that with its Uyghurs, but it's also been heavily persecuting Christians in that country too, which would be good to talk about. If, if, the, if these games are an attempt to sports wash, to draw a veil conveniently over the, um, not just the plight of these minorities, but, but the fact that it's happening and it's, it's, it's kind of state-sponsored deprivation of these human rights, what do you hope your statement will, will do? What do you hope we can, we can do, I guess, to uh, listeners, but also maybe on a, on a government level, what would you like the British government uh, and the sports agencies to be doing about this? I think it's tremendously important to draw attention to what is happening. There's huge resources behind the Winter Olympic Games that China's pouring into that. They do them very well. They did the last Olympics extremely well too, because the whole world is watching. And that really is the point. So within China, we see an extraordinary persecution of Christians that's been taking place in that country. Churches have been closed, crosses have been demolished, Christian human rights lawyers have been rounded up and imprisoned in some cases. Those lawyers say they've been tortured. That's an extraordinary thing. What kind of country tortures its human rights lawyers? But we've seen pastors replaced in a continuing reflex to want to control everything. It is a totalitarian nation. Its reflex is to control everything. And so China has been replacing the pastors of churches it doesn't approve of. It's been embarking on a process of sinicization, which means making more Chinese effectively, and that includes the churches. So some pastors have been removed. They've been accused of all kinds of things, often framed in the context of being enemies of the state. But if we just put ourselves in that position for a minute, what's actually been going on in China is if you and I want to attend a church and we live in China and you've got children under the age of 18, you can't take them with you. It's forbidden. If you turn up at church, you'll run the gauntlet of surveillance cameras, face recognition surveillance cameras who know who you are and where you are, and that information is relayed back to the state. Everything is tightly controlled from what is taught to who teaches it. The only other option you'd have as a Christian within China is to go underground, and that is to join the house church movement, which is prohibited by the government, they're not sanctioned by them, and they're closed down. It's it said that China has closed down close to 20,000 churches within a decade. And this is all about controlling that which seems in some way other than Chinese and beyond the power of the Communist Party. And of course, for a Christian who would say that Jesus Christ is Lord and our allegiance is pledged to Christ, as far as the atheist Communist Party is concerned, that means that they do not have control over Christians. So they try to exercise that by force of law. So what should we do about it? We need to be aware of it. We need to pray about it. 
and we need to lobby. We need to be active in talking to governments. And the wonderful thing in the UK right now is that as a result of the government taking on board a report by the Bishop of Truro, which was for the Foreign Office, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, looking at the question of Christian persecution. Whenever it comes to talks about trade or aid, human rights is right on the table. Countries like China, which would say this is not relevant, can no longer say that. They can't sweep these things under the carpet. And the Bishop of Truro's report is being reviewed this year. So right now is a great opportunity for the world, including our own government, to raise the truth about what is really going on in China at a time where the world's spotlight is firmly on that nation. Somebody called Bob Fu, who uh, is uh, described as a partner uh, of Release International, is a, a well-known protester, well-known because of the, his protest work and the, and the democracy protests in Tiananmen Square many decades ago now. But he's made some extraordinarily outspoken comments, not just about these games, but really about the Chinese government, uh, again, on their stance on human rights. I just wonder if you'd be happy to just to repeat or maybe to explain some of the things that uh, he, he is alleged to have said. Yes, Bob Fu is a partner of Release International. He runs an organization called China Aid, and he does so from Texas. Why is he in Texas? because he's in exile in that country. Bob was a Tiananmen Square protester. He was calling for democracy in China back in the 80s. China doesn't even acknowledge that any of this took place. And he was driven into exile. He's now an American citizen. But Bob is an outspoken campaigner on matters concerning China. So what Bob is saying about these games, actually Bob is, is urging a boycott, but he's realistic enough to recognize that those who will not boycott the games but will engage with them do actually have an extraordinary opportunity while they're there, including the athletes, to do exactly what we're doing right now, which is to raise the issue of what is going on in China. Rather than turn our backs on China, let's speak up about what is happening within China. So Bob likens these Olympic Games to the Nazi Olympics of 1936, which were also a colossal propaganda exercise intending to show the world the wonders of Hitler's regime. It may be a bit rich to liken Xi Jinping to Adolf Hitler, but it is a totalitarian state that he runs. And the control that China exercises over its citizens is growing daily. And a really worrying thing about this, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about face recognition cameras aimed at Christians going to church. And this is a reality in China. But China is exporting this technology to other countries, including dictatorships like Myanmar, formerly Burma. They're exporting their methodology and their technology to that country, Malaysia and others, so that they can control their citizens. These are very worrying days in terms of what technology makes possible in terms of the control that it can exercise over its citizens. So Bob Fu is particularly concerned over that and is raising the issues. And he is a seasoned campaigner. He's had protesters outside his house, probably paid for by the Chinese authorities, boycotting his house, lobbying him, threatening him. And those protesters have even filmed themselves beating up people on the streets. This is a dirty game that China plays, and Bob is very, very well aware of it. He's our partner. Uh, we commend him and we commend the fact that he's drawing attention of the world to the other side of what goes on in China, beyond the glitz of the Winter Olympics. And finally, retired Baptist minister, 
the Reverend Graham Watts has a word or two to say about those really awful days. I wonder if you can think, when did you last have a really bad day? You know, when just everything seems to go wrong. I don't mean something like you just lose your keys for 10 minutes. I mean, a really, really bad day when everything, you know, one of those days when you wonder why on earth you got up because everything seems to be going wrong. I remember when our children were young and they had a, a children's book that we used to read to them. I don't know if any of you have come, come across it. It's called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And the author tells this story about a little boy called Alexander. And his day starts out badly and goes downhill from there on. So he gets chewing gum stuck in his hair. He gets his jumper wet in the sink and trips over his skateboard and he doesn't get a prize when he opens his cereal box. And that's all before breakfast. And you could tell, he says, you can tell in the book it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He goes to school and his teacher doesn't like his drawing. And so on it goes. After school, his mum buys him some clothes, which were white, and he wanted the red ones. And then he has to go to the dentist and his dentist finds he has a cavity. And then he, so it goes on and on and on. And he gets into the evening and he's sitting in the bath. And he finally says to himself, I think I'll move to Australia. A no good, not very whatever day. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you know what I mean when you have a bad day. Well, in our story, I've been thinking about poor old Simon Peter. I mean, he, he's had a really bad day. Well, in fact, to be honest, he's had a really bad night. He's an experienced fisherman. He's got crew. He's got partners, we're told, who've been out with him. Experienced fishermen always went out on the Sea of Galilee, where this is, at night, because that's when you catch fish. And he's come back, and how many fish has he caught? None. It's a bad night. It's bad business. You know, he's going to sell his fish for profit. No fish. It's a bad day. This teacher, Jesus, is standing there teaching the crowds. Jesus looks at him and says to him, go out again and let the nets down. Now, if you're Peter, what do you think? Uh, excuse me, I'm the fisherman. I've been out all night and I've caught nothing. Now you're telling me to go out again? In fact, in the reading, it sort of implies that Peter sort of had a question about that. Who are you to tell me? But anyway, there's something about Jesus that he puts out to sea. Well, then one problem leads to another, you see. He doesn't just catch a few fish. He catches so many fish that the nets begin to break. Now, that's going to be expensive. And not only that, he can't get them all on his boat, so they have to put a second boat out, otherwise the boat would sink. Now, we tend to think of this as sort of, isn't that a wonderful thing? Well, yes, it is. But when you look at it from Peter the fisherman's point of view, this is, going, this is one problem after another. And then, when he's got his fish in, Jesus says to him, well, now you're going to give up fishing. Oh, thanks. That's my livelihood. Now you're going to give that up, and you're going to come with me, and you're going to fish for people. Now, if you look at it one way, that just looks like one thing after another, one bad message after another. What's going on? I mean, startling that he caught all these fish, sure. But, of course, it's Jesus who is speaking to him. 
And when he hears the voice of Jesus, he hears the word of God. He encounters the word of God. And Jesus speaks with such authority that Peter just has to do what he says. But I ask you for a minute to identify with Peter. Just think a minute. Where's this all leading? I've left my fishing business behind. If I leave it, where am I going? What's going to happen? He doesn't know. When Jesus calls somebody, there are no ifs and buts. But it doesn't always look easy. In fact, sometimes it looks really tough. I remember hearing a speaker once say, things might look as though they're really bad, but don't judge the final score when it's only half time. God hasn't finished yet. There's more to come. I remember that saying when I went to a football match. I know, I know Six Nations is coming up soon. You don't judge full-time score at half time. But on a, on a, a different sport, a few years ago, I, I was back in London. I was born in South London. I always say South London because if you know London, South London and North London, they don't have much to do with one another. You know, it's like I'm South London. I'm definitely not North London. But anyway, I was born in South London. I was born around the corner from Crystal Palace Football Club. So that's my team. And I went to see them a few years ago and they were playing Liverpool. Great team. And it was quite a few seasons ago, but I remember Liverpool, it was the last game of the season. Liverpool needed to win to win the league, to win the Premier League. At halftime, Liverpool were winning 3-0, which wasn't a surprise, to be honest. Guess what the final score was? I couldn't believe it. 3-0, 3-3. My team came back from three goals behind to draw 3-0, and Liverpool did not win the league. And if any of you know of Steven Gerrard, he used to, he was playing for Liverpool at that time. He was on his knees crying in the middle of the pitch at the end of the match. Never judge the full-time score at half-time. Peter's at half-time here. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Jesus has told him to leave his fishing behind and come and fish for people, for men and women. He might have thought that was a pretty risky thing. You might be having a bad day. You might be having a bad month. You might be having a bad year, but God hasn't finished yet. Never judge the outcome when you're only halfway through. That's the lesson. Never judge the outcome when you're halfway through. Jesus called Peter. Jesus calls all of us. That's what fishing for people is all about. Jesus calls you and me. And when you hear his voice, what he calls you to do might seem scary. You're not sure where he's going to go. But when you hear the voice of Jesus, you really can't say no. And you have to trust him that the outcome will always be for the best. Always the final score is better than you could ever imagine. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plain Talking and look out for the next one coming soon. Plain Talking is sponsored by the Plain Truth magazine a magazine of understanding. To find out more, please visit plain-truth.org.uk. That's plain-truth.org.uk.